0: Welcome to Have You Heard the AABP Podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the Executive Director of AABP. This podcast is brought to you by the Genetics and Genomics Committee, and we are going to discuss usage of genomics in beef cattle production with two beef producers. We're, we will be joined by Craig Bieber from Bieber Red Angus and Cole Ratsberg from Bobcat Angus. And get producer- perspectives on how genomics can be incorporated into beef herds and what the role of the veterinarian might be in that decision-making process. I would also like to thank Merck Animal Health for sponsoring this podcast. Could your cattle be more covered from BRD? If you're not using Bovalis Vista 1-sub-Q, the answer is Yes. It's shown effective against the major causes of BRD, plus Pastorella multocida and BVT type 1B. No other vaccine covers as much. And with industry leading duration of immunity, give calves the most complete BRD coverage in a single dose. Bovulus Vista once sub Q. Another way Merck Animal Health works for you. Thank you, Merck, for supporting AABP and the Have You Heard podcast. All right, I wanna welcome our producer guests today for this podcast. Remind everyone that this podcast is brought to you by the AABP Genetics and Genomics Committee, and our committees develop various podcast topics and this one is usage of genomics in beef pe- cattle production, and we're going to talk to a couple of producers and get their perspective on how genomics are incorporated in their herd, uh, how they do that, how they use veterinarians in those decisions, and, and, and hopefully give veterinarians as well as producers some ideas as they work through these issues in their own beef herds with some applicability, of course, to the dairy industry as well. So we want to start off with craig bieber craig please introduce yourself hi fred well
1: i'm craig bieber with bieber Red angus i am the ceo um our operation was started in the mid-60s by my parents uh in 68 my dad bought the first registered red angus cows and in 76 we had our first first sale uh we currently have uh five sales a year at Leola, south dakota um and um, all red angus seed stock we run about 900 cows and usually put in three to 500 embryos um, and and we're selling kind of in that uh four to six hundred bulls a year i guess is the brief overview.
0: great thank you so much craig uh, our other guest is cole ratsberg cole please introduce yourself
2: well, thanks for having me on, on the podcast here, Fred. Um, so yeah, I'm Cole Ratsburg. We're with, uh, Bobcat. I'm with Bobcat Angus. Uh, it was started back in the nineties, uh, when my dad and, uh, his brother Ernie and his best friend, they graduated from college from, uh, Montana state and their mascots, the Bobcats. Uh, and then he started, decided to start a registered herd. Um, from there it kind of expanded and, um, Today I'm just kind of uh, a manager with it, with my dad and my uncle, and uh, we run about 400 registered cows and, and sell this shy of 200 bulls uh, in our production sale, and, and we do uh, about a thousand bred females too to go along with that. Um, we do a we have a commercial cow calf side and and a yearling side too to go along with our operation. So we stay pretty pretty involved in the cattle industry and. So that's probably about it.
0: Well, great. I really appreciate both of your time today and your perspectives. Uh, I think every veterinarian loves to just, uh, chat with uh, producers. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So, uh, Craig, let's start off with you and, and let's talk about phenotype. You know, what are some traits that you are focused on for recording phenotypic information in your herd? Well, it seems like right now we're we're
1: collecting a lot. Well, you know, birth weight, weaning weight, yearling weight, mature weights, foot scores, frame scores, scrotal measurements. Um, we did quit collecting pelvic measurements. Uh, we do ultrasound. Uh, we do disposition scores. I think
0: that covers most every. Oh, utter scores. I missed utter scores. Cole, let's move over to you. What has been your experience with genomic testing, and, and what animals do you test? And can you maybe give us an idea of when you do those tests?
2: Uh, yeah, to start off, I, we actually uh, take the test, the tissue sample, um, at birth. Um, and it's just a the TSU sample in the ear. Uh, and so originally, you know, we, were, we would do carcass ultrasounding um, before all the genomics got hot. And um, we switched over to um, full genomic testing of the entire herd, probably about five to 10, oh, it's been over five years ago. And uh, it's just really strengthened the validity of everything. And it really shows you, I mean, phenotypically, when you look at these animals, uh, and then you go back and you see their genomic testing, it really proves everything. And then just to have an extra, um, at least 25 calves genomically improved through these tests, uh, really gives you... Gives your buyers um, more confidence too in buying the bulls or the females. So that's a, that's what we see the value in it. And, and do you feel it's a good
0: economic return for you, Cole? Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, going back along those lines of you're seeing um, essentially an increased calf crop with um, through that genomic testing. Something you can't just get. I mean, we can get it almost instantaneously with that genomic test. So it's a it's a great tool.
0: Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, Craig, has the use of genomic testing changed how you select uh, animals? Oh, I would say absolutely. It. Uh,
1: I mean, Cole talked about the accuracy of twenty five rough, and it depends on the trait, but it's given us a lot more confidence in EPDs, and and I and I I, I mean. Uh not that we didn't have confidence before, but now this, that those predictions are way more robust, in my opinion. And so we we charge in sooner. Uh, we probably collect, you know, start to identify animals early that are the top and probably produce some uh, embryos from younger animals so that we can spin the top a little faster. So definitely it's changed how we've selected animals.
0: And, um, Cole, let's talk about indexes. Are you using breed association indexes or your own? And then how do
2: you use those for bull selection? So, yeah, we use the Angus indexes. Um, and we, we look at more of the carcass ones, the terminal ones, I guess you could say. Uh, kind of correlates with our commercial herd because uh, we sell – uh, steer, well, our commercial herd is primary for selling steers. So we're looking at something like a dollar B. Now they have, um, dollar C, um, and then, uh, the dollar M. So, you know, dollar M is a dollar maternal, um, dollar B, which is now pretty much the dollar C's dollar combined. Um, and it brings some of those indexes and other EPDs in there. Um, and I don't say I use an index hundred percent for making a decision, but it's just another tool to help you look at stuff. Um, I like to look more at phenotype Probably 60% more on the phenotype. And then I'd probably use, uh, an index or an EPD for, uh, the other part of the decision in terms of, um, when we're looking at breeding or, or buying bulls or something like that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to ask you both this next question and we'll, we'll start off with you, Craig, but you know, you, you both said you sell a lot of bulls, uh, What should the commercial cow-calf producer focus on when considering bulls? What would you recommend?
2: So looking at first the performance traits, I'd probably look at, um, you know, a a cavy knees because we do got to sell a lot of um, bred heifers and and a weaning weight. And then I'd probably start looking at um, like a heifer pregnancy EPD too. Yeah, look at a little bit of fertility um, and... And then the indexes from there. That's probably the main three we'd look at. You know, I would, I would
1: probably ditto what Cole says. You know, I mean, a lot of it depends on what commercial producers or when they're selling. You know, if they're selling at weaning or backgrounding, then they do need to be more concerned with growth traits and and probably calving ease. You know, live calves obviously are worth a bunch more than dead ones, but uh, you know, so they they got to be concerned about calving ease and growth. But moving on down, I mean, their buyers are going to be concerned about carcass traits. And so I don't think they can totally ignore it. I mean, I don't think they have to put as much emphasis on it. And if they're keeping replacement females, which many of them in, in the Angus breeds are, uh, red Angus and, and black Angus, you know, they'll want to pay attention to, you know, heifer pregnancy, some stability, some of the female indexes. I, I do think on some of those on most of those traits, you know, the indexes generally get you the right direction quicker. But, you know, you you always need to understand, you know, you have a better gut feel for what your herd is maybe doing. And, and if you're deficient in, in something, you want to probably focus on that in your bull selection.
0: Craig, since you mentioned uh, replacements, how do you, uh, you know, what do you consider when you are selecting replacements to keep? Well, I mean, we breed
1: a lot of our heifers. Uh, we probably breed uh, somewhere between two thirds and three quarters, um, and 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 we'll focus on those very same traits. Uh, we 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 want them to be growth. We also, you know, and. Cole mentioned it earlier. I mean, we do look at them. We want them to be phenotypically, structurally sound. I mean, that's number one. We we're getting to the point where we don't really have that many cattle that that aren't. But there are always going to be some. And then, um, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll ju- we'll just focus on kind of the maternal side of the. I guess we we want everything, but you know, we want to make sure we got. Good cows and uh, good cows that that can do all the things the industry
2: needs.
0: Cole, how about you how do, how do how does your uh, uh, operation select replacements to keep?
2: Yeah, probably not too far off the beaten path from what Craig's doing. Um, they're gonna have some growth in them. Uh, they gotta have some minimum traits to them. We'll go back and look at two. Um, we usually like to take the ones um, that were from AI sires, so they're. Their mother was bred via AI, um, and that just gives us some more proof into what we're using. Uh, we don't really do, uh, especially on the, on the commercial side, we don't do a genomic test there to, to pick through them. Uh, it's pretty much just phenotype and and making sure they're, they're old enough and they got enough weight on them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, uh, Craig, what about, uh, you know, selection for your, uh, animals for that you want to do advanced reproductive technologies on like embryo transfer i don't know if you're doing any ivf but how do you select those uh cows that you're going to flush and then how about the re so uh
1: well first of all i can scratch off re because we put them mostly in outside herds okay um and so we don't really put very many embryos into registered cows uh we contract with other herds to do that uh so so we don't we 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 ask the those uh embryo cooperators to select their best, you know, some of the some of their best cows to do it. But but I think in this day and age, you know, the people that we're looking for, they're generally, you know, selecting pretty good cows anyway. <laughs> and so yes, we we use the indexes. Uh we make sure they're solid in in growth traits and calving ease. Um, and then and then we are also wanting to make sure we've got carcass in them, particularly marbling, because, uh, I mean, not marbling solely, but it's the big driver when it comes to profit on grid cattle. Uh, so, you know, so we're we're kind of looking for the cattle that have the whole package and then probably have a history, a pedigree history. You know, we're, we're, we genomically test them, so that's enhanced in our EPDs, but ultimately... But just like that, that that little bit of icing on the cake out of a, a top dam or, you know, that, that's done a really good job or a cow line that's been consistently at the top.
0: Yeah, and Cole, let's let's move over to you. Uh and then Craig, I want you to follow up. But let's talk about your top three most important selection EPDs, Cole.
2: Uh so yeah, uh, the top three EPDs I would probably be looking at uh you know, kind of what Craig was just saying, you know, marbling is uh, it's very important, especially, you know, like he's talking the grid stuff that relates back to the commercial cow guy. Uh, we're going to look at a birth weight, calving ease, EPD two. there. Uh, you got to make sure your heifers are going to have a live calf along with the, along with the weaning weight. And then, um, you know, pick the one off the maternal deal too. Um, uh heifer pregnancy, which I consider very important. Uh, making sure that, that sire's uh, crop of heifers is uh, going to breed up well, or, or at least you hope. So it's just another tool to, to help you make a decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Craig, following up there, you know, and I, and, and Cole kind of touched on this earlier as far as how he views the economic advantage of genomic testing. And, you know, certainly we have seen such a, rapidly uh, evolving uh, technologies and, you know, much more incorporation into both the beef and dairy business. But talk a little bit about how you see the economic benefit from genomic testing. How is that better than traditional EPDs for the progress that you want to make for your operation? Nicola visited about it or mentioned it a little earlier. You
1: know, he said it's like the equivalent of having somewhere between 15 and 25, depending on the trait calves out of a bull. I mean, and that's important, I guess, um, just to get that level of accuracy. Because I do think in the old days when we had EPDs that were not genomically enhanced, we kind of needed that first calf crop to really confirm, you know, what we thought. Um, And so, you know, the EPDs kind of... Or genomically enhanced EPDs do that. I mean, we, we feel it's really important all the way, you know, for the purebred producer, uh, we think it's, it's extremely important. I mean, we, we've felt it was so important that we've actually offer beef, uh, identity beef to our commercial customers so they can actually help select replacement females. Uh, with genomics, now the genomics they get there are more like a black and white picture compared to a color picture that we get uh, when it comes to uh, genomically enhanced EPDs because we have reams of data to to kind of search for those markers and and determine what's right. But 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 in the end, I I think they're far better off with that than they are with uh, with uh, actual performance.
0: I also don't want to neglect genetic defects. So, Cole, does does do you test for genetic defects? And if you do, how do you incorporate that information into your selection system? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, there's definitely been a few times in the Angus industry when there's been some new defects found and uh, the tests have been done, um, and, and it's just part of you know when we when we take that uh, initial genomic test or uh, sample at a calf. Um, we can get that tested for defects or may already be, uh, tested for the defects too, just as the general test. Um, there's a few of them that came, came along, you know, developmental duplication, uh, double muscling. I remember when I was, uh, just starting to really get involved in the Angus industry, that double muscling was, was very big. Um, and, uh, you know, there was the original three, I think I remember those two, but, yeah, it's it's something you got to watch out for. Um, we don't see that phenotypically, or we don't see those defects showing up anymore because of the testing that's been done. Um, and if and if we do have something that pops off with a genetic uh, defect um, through the test, it's yeah, it's taken out of the herd. Um, that's how we take care of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. You know, as we as we close up our, our conversation here today, uh I want to get these two producers perspective on the role of veterinarians uh in helping you with genomic testing or other consultants, uh evaluation of the results and, and selection decisions. So, you know, what advice would you give to a veterinarian uh to assist them in being more valuable to your operation as you're incorporating genomic uh, uh, testing and, and selection into your herd? Well, I mean, I think,
1: you know, veterinarians should have an important role in every herd from health, uh, genetics, management, you know, the whole, encompass the whole, the whole picture. I think from a genomic uh, standpoint, they can sure offer genomic testing. Um I, I do think it, you know, we get a lot of calls, uh, from vet, from, uh, people that say, my vet says I got a genetic defect. And I, th- I would encourage them to understand that there's a big difference between congenital defects and genetic defects. And not every time that you have a calf that's miss or, or deformed is it a genetic defect. Um as a matter of fact i would i would I would tell you that our breed associations, like Cole mentioned earlier, have done a really good job. Uh, those tests come as a part of of almost those genetic defect tests come a part of almost of every animal tested so one thing you can do is is you know ask you know make sure you get on as a vet and see if the the animal or the possible parent animal has been tested uh and then you know one thing i get you know a lot of times it's frustrating for me is i get vets you know that tell people this but they don't realize it does come from both sides and so you know i think it's important to remember that that yes the bull could have carried it but he can't carry it alone the female had it and so somewhere along the line they had it i think it's also important to remember that they're uh, you know, they're carrier, they're all carriers of something. We just haven't found out what a lot of them are carriers are, or they're not detrimental to our livelihood. Uh, you know, that's, that's the big, you know, we all went on a kick when we found some, but the reality is, is there's a lot, for, for those that we found, there's probably a thousand that we haven't that don't affect us from a genetic standpoint. So, I mean, I, I just, I'd encourage, veterinarians keep a cool head Understand the situation i think genomic testing is is very is very useful in a profitable operation and i think one of the things they can do is really get their customers ahead from a profitability standpoint and therefore creating sustainability or stability within their within their customer base by giving them good sound genetic advice
0: Good advice. I really appreciate that, Craig. And, Cole, uh, you're a veterinarian. Many AABP members know because uh, your brother, uh, uh, Cameron, Dr. Ratzberg, is an AABP member. Uh, what advice would you give uh, to veterinarians to become involved with uh, genetic uh, selection and genomics in, in uh, uh, beef herds?
2: Yeah, I I think they have a a great advantage in in that, you know, they're seeing a lot of other cows um, throughout their area and they can, they can offer you advice and kind of let you know how your herd compares possibly, or keep you, keep you going down the straight and narrow, or let you know if there's some advantage you need to take care of. And um, also they probably, you know, deal with a lot of um, bulls or stuff that we, uh, our customers buy and let us know we have issues. Um, that's probably the biggest advantage I see. And, you know, with, yeah, with our current veterinarian, my brother, he, he definitely is a lot more involved with the genomic selection and stuff, um, just because he has some skin in the game, too. And um, it's it's a great, great benefit, I guess.
0: Well, you know, I, I really want to thank both of you. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your involvement in the beef industry. Uh, really appreciate it. I want to remind our listeners that. You know, genetic advancements uh, in both the beef and dairy industry is certainly probably the number one driver of our increased efficiency, our increased production. Uh, what a, f- a fascinating uh, scientific topic for all of us to understand and become involved with. Uh, I am always amazed uh, at the knowledge uh, the vast array of knowledge that producers today must have, uh, from, from genetics to nutrition to agronomy to management, uh, to reproduction. Certainly, uh, experts that we serve, uh, our clients. So really, uh, want to thank you for that. I want to also remind our listeners that uh, AABP has a genetics and genomics committee, uh, Dr. Stuart Bach is the uh, chair of that committee and Dr. Miller- Murray Gillis is our vice chair board liaison. If you're interested in this subject, we invite you to join the Genetics and Genomics Committee. They will have a committee meeting in Milwaukee at our AABP conference, and you do not need to be a member of the committee to attend the committee meeting. But we would welcome you all uh, that are listening to this podcast that are AABP members to consider joining that committee. And I also want to give one plug. Uh, you know, what Craig was talking about, about the Sometimes difficult communications when a veterinarian uh is is working with a herd that has purchased a bull from another herd uh through a bull sale and they come on to a, a you know a congenital defect or potentially even a genetic defect. Uh communication is so important when we're talking to our customer to make sure we're not miscommunicating a congenital versus a genetic defect. Communication is certainly one of the most important tools that a veterinarian can have. And so I also want to invite our members to consider our communication seminar with Dr. Morgan MacArthur and Dr. Mark Hilton at the conference. That's a little plug for that seminar because you can be the expert at everything in the world, but if you cannot communicate that to your producers, your clients, and your customers, uh, you're certainly going to miss out. So Craig, Cole, thank you so much for participating in our podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time, Fred.
2: Yeah, thank you, Fred. I really appreciate it.